Today's our guest is Levi Brackman from InOwn. Uh, welcome, Levi. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for having me, Rama. Sure. Thank you. And a little bit about Levi. Levi is a product executive with degrees from SOS, UCL, and the Australian Catholic University, PhD. His experience as a data scientist led to him building enterprise-level data and AI capabilities at multi-billion dollar companies and his mission now is to democratize access to institutional grade investment opportunities. So with that, Levi, you want to add anything to your background? Well, this is one aspect of what I do in my life. And, you know, I would consider myself to be both a serial entrepreneur and also a little bit of a polymath. So this is one area of significant focus of mine, Invone, democratize access to institutional grade investment opportunities to everybody. But, you know, my background is varied. I have a PhD in psychology. I've got three rabbinic coordinations. I have my own podcast called Jewish Wisdom for Today. And I run Invone. And I also have a portfolio of real estate investments myself, which we own and manage. So there's a lot going on in my background. But yes, I work for a BP, for, for booking holdings, and for a travel for these relatively large and very large multinational corporations. Uh, in the data space as well. Awesome background. So what is the purpose and reason behind, you know, democratizing access, institutional level investment opportunities to, you know, other accredited or non-accredited investors? A little bit about me and my background, which can explain that. I was brought up in London, England. My father was a scientist. He had a PhD in chemistry and worked in industry. And as such, he never made big bucks, so to speak. But he was an intelligent person and would have liked to have made a lot of money, uh, but never had access to the kind of investment opportunities that enabled him to do that while he was working, you know, a kind of a scientist job. So whenever opportunities did arise, so for example, in England back in the 1980s, you had Margaret Thatcher who was privatizing industry. So you had British Petroleum and you had British Gas and British Telecom and British Airways, which she floated all of them on the stock market. So because these were government-owned companies, the government did was they gave opportunities to the citizens to buy pre-IPO shares. So my father would always go in and buy and subscribe, basically, for everyone in the family for these pre-IPO shares. And then the day or the day after where they went public, he would then sell them for a profit. So he was pretty savvy in his ability to be able to kind of figure out when the opportunities arose to be able to buy private investment opportunities, if you like, to be able to then make the money of it. But those kind of opportunities are far and few between. You know, and as a kid, I would see neighbors and other people driving very fancy cars and, you know, we're doing very well. We struggled. And I was one of nine. I like to say that when we were kids, you know, the solution to a threadbare carpet wasn't a new carpet. It was to throw a rug over it you know, because there really wasn't money there. And it wasn't because there wasn't a desire to make money. It was just because those opportunities weren't available. And today we live in a world where the regulations have changed and the laws have changed, which enable institutional level investment opportunities to be made available to the public. And therefore, you know, one should create the wherewithal, if you like, the platforms according to the law, according to the regulations, which allow that and facilitate that. And that's what Inbound really does. It enables people who would in the past only be selling their securities to accredited investors people who have high net worth or at least a million dollars of net worth beyond their own private residence um, to be able to then sell that also to just a regular person 
be able to have access to those uh, institutional level uh, private security. Thank you for sharing that. So would you share me your visualization or vision for this company and you know your, this process? Well, there's a few things which we've done, which are important to understand recently. And that is we've, one of the things which I realized out there in the marketplace is that one of the reasons why issuers, if you like, so let's call them sponsors, don't do Reg CF offerings is because it's really expensive to do. The current marketplace out there to be able to go to a funding portal, which that's what it is, right? Reg CF, let's go take a step back for, for a moment to talk about the different types of regulations that are used, or it's actually exemptions that are used to allow the selling of securities to the public. So if you think of it like as a continuum, right? You start off on the left-hand side, if you like, with a 506B, which is basically a private placement. Because you can sell securities, but you have to have a pre-existing relationship with the people who are buying securities. And there has to be only a very limited number of non-accredited investors in any given deal. That 506B is usually used you know, for big banks and other investment banks, which are doing private placements. It's also used sometimes for people who have wealthy friends and family, and that's an exemption which is used for that. Um, then you have this thing called the 506C, which says, sorry, let's take a step back again. 506C, you can't do any kind of advertising, right? That's the idea of a pre-existing relationship. 506C says you can do advertising, but you have to ensure that everyone is accredited. So they have to usually, people use some kind of third-party accreditation company to make sure that whoever's investing is actually accredited. And if they're not accredited, they can't invest or their money is returned to them. And then as you go further along, you have this thing called a Reg CF. Reg CF says, hey, you can accept an unlimited amount of non-accredited investors, but it has to be, the offering has to be conducted on a funding portal, right? And a funding portal is a SEC registered, FINRA regulated platform, which enables an issuer or a sponsor to be able to raise money from the general public. And so that's the, what a funding portal is. It's a legal designation. Invone, my company, is a funding portal. But if you go out to the marketplace and see, well, other funding portals, how much do they charge for an issuer to be able to sell securities? It's a really high amount. It's up to 8% of capital. And often there's a monthly charge of $3,500, $4,000 for the raise. So it ends up being relatively expensive. 8% cost of capital raised is a high percentage of capital which you raise, which has to go to a third party. Somehow that has to be covered. And when I realized that this is a real barrier to entry for sponsors being able to go out there and raise money from just non-accredited regular investors, I realized that we have to find a way to cut back those fees. So what we did was we went and we cut back fees and we are, our fees are as low as 1.5% capital raise, which is much more reasonable than the seven or 8% charged by others. So really, we're trying to enable this. And one of the ways we're trying to enable it is by making the fees much more palatable for sponsors and issuers to be able to raise money. And I think we are the least expensive on the market. That doesn't mean our technology is cheap. Our technology is very, very good and works really well. But our fees are just much lower. I don't feel there's a need to be able to have to charge people 8% on capital raise. We do have a subscription-based model as well. So that's the Reg CF, and that's what we do. So the vision is basically to enable anyone who would like to raise money from the public to come onto the platform and be able to raise money from the public. Thank you for sharing that. Share me like, you know, a little bit background, like how exactly you find investors and the sponsors and what kind of due diligence you would perform on both investors and sponsors. So to be clear, our customer are the sponsors, 
not the investor. So we have to think of ourselves as a B2B2C company, right? So business to business in order for that business to get to the speed to the other customers. So the business to business is, so we are a business and our customer is another business, the sponsor, who wants to raise money from regular non-accredited investors, right? Or also from accredited investors, because you can do a 506C on Inbone as well. As a matter of fact, the best way to do a 506C is together with a Reg CS. It makes sense. If you're doing a 506C and you're doing advertising anyway, you might as well also add on your Reg CF, which takes the friction out of the investment process. So, for example, if you just got a 506C out there, so what are you going to do? You're going to, someone, the investor is going to show up and they, you know, you've done your advertising, investors show up to you, the page in order to invest, and they're hit with a barrier. Are you accredited enough? They say, yeah, I'm accredited. And they say, okay, prove it. You know, upload all your documents to prove that you're accredited. Many, many people fall off at that point. They're just not going to upload their documents. They don't want to, or they don't have it available or whatever. So when you do a Reg CF together with your 506C, what happens is those who are accredited and want to upload their documents, they can do that and they can become going to your 506C buckets. Those who are either not accredited or they don't want to upload their documents, they go into your Reg CF bucket. So it takes down that friction of A, being accredited, and B, if you are accredited but don't want to or don't have the documents uploaded, you can still invest. So that friction is removed. So anyone who's doing a 506C should really consider doing a Reg CF together with it. That will take some of the friction out of the pipeline. Our company is a company which our customer are sponsors or people looking to raise money. That's a, now, we don't bring in the investors. That's the job of the sponsors, bring the investors. We just help with some of the regulatory you know, cover that is needed if you want to raise money from an advertise and also the technology which enables that. So our customer is not the end customer, it's not the investor, the sponsor's customer is the investor. We enable and help the sponsor get to their end customer in a way which involves a lot less friction, which is their investor. We're not promising to bring the investors to bear, right? Although, you know, we are, we are a kind of a marketplace, so there are people who will show up and see investment opportunities and invest in sponsored investments just because it happens to be on Inbound, but that's not the promise of the platforms. Got it. Thanks for clarifying that. And what kind of investment opportunities are available? Are you focusing on only real estate, multifamily, or any other asset classes? Would you share a little actually, bit that? Actually, we're kind of agnostic about what is raised for on the platform. The key criteria is that there can't be any type of potential for there has to be full disclosure so all the disclosures have to be there we have to make sure that whoever the sponsor is or the issuer is or the company raising money is disclosing everything we also have to make sure that the full background check done on the sponsor to ensure that for example we have turned down sponsors who have things in their backgrounds which perhaps questionable we recently turned down a sponsor who had a felony in his background someone who has been uh, prohibited from selling securities I will not allow to raise on the platform. If there's some any other kinds of red flags in the business model, we won't allow them to raise on the platform. So the goal is to try and protect investors as much as possible and to make sure that everything is disclosed to investors. So we will ask these questions to make sure it's not our job to judge the business model. It's not our job to judge how strong of an investment opportunity it is. Our job is to make sure that all of that is disclosed properly to the investors so the investors can make a proper and educated and transparent decision about whether to invest in the opportunity or not. So what are some best practices using your platform? 
I think that anyone who's considering doing a 506C should talk to us about also doing a Reg PF together with it, because that makes sense to do both. So I think the best practice going forward, more and more people will think if I'm doing a 506C, I should do a Reg PF together with it in order that I can take out some of that friction from investors. And also, it depends on the size of your rate. We've got a guy who's just doing a 506C. He's probably going to invest to raise the full amount from you know, not more than five, six investors. So that's fine just to five or six. But if you're going out there and really doing some serious marketing, then you should do your XCF with the five or six together, or your five, six, five or six with your XCF. That way you're able to kind of not take away any of the friction. So I think that's what best practice going forward would be. As far as other best practices, you know, you'll make sure that you're transparent with your investors, totally and utterly transparent. Because if you are not and you don't disclose everything, you can get yourself into trouble. So we'll ask a lot of these questions as we go through. And sometimes sponsors get uncomfortable with answering those questions. And if they do, then they're probably not a good sponsor for us because, you know, that means they're trying to hide something from investors. And if you're trying to hide something from investors, you shouldn't be raising money. And certainly you can't raise money on inbound. All right. Thank you. So is there any restrictions using this platform? Yeah, the key restriction would be your background check. If you've got stuff which is uh, flagged, if you're trying to hide something from investors, or if you're just not being transparent, that those would be the restrictions. Other than that, you know, we're here to facilitate your ability to raise money from the public. Now, we don't bring investors along with you. So in other words, we're not promising you, hey, come and invest, come and put your deal up on the platform. We're going to bring lots of investors. That's not the business we're in. We're in the business of helping you facilitate the ability to reach more investors in a less frictional way. So if you're the kind of person who wants to build a brand with investors and are spending money on marketing, you should definitely be talking to us. But if you're just doing some private, small deals which you can do on your own, you just want technology, we can also help you with that as well. But the key thing is we're here for people who are looking to not necessarily use somebody else's investor base to bring the money, but want to build their own investor base and want to take the friction out of it. There are platforms out there which will bring their own investors and then they vet every single deal. You could see those people more like a fund, right? We're not a fund. We just help here to facilitate you raising money. Got it. Thank you. So would you share any of your best experience so far? Yeah, I mean, we've had sponsors who have been able to go out there and bring and be surprised at how much money they've been able to raise from non-accredited investors. Uh, we had one sponsor who was like, let's see if I can raise $250,000 like pretty quickly from my list of non-accredited investors. And you end up raising way over a million. So we've had those kind of experiences. You know, some people uh, that works for, other people it doesn't work for. You can always do a test the waters campaign. We just had recently a company which did a test the waters campaign to see. They had a thesis to say that their non-accredited investors in their database would invest if they did a test the waters campaign and they did that. And it turned out that they weren't able to get in their mind enough. They raised well over $500,000, but for them, that wasn't enough to make it worthwhile to do a full reg CF campaign, which is fine. Maybe they'll do so again in the future. But, you know, it just depends on what your goals are, what your success criteria looks like, and how much elbow grease you want to put behind it. Got it. Thank you. So would you also share any challenging experience? Yeah, I think a challenging experience we had was that, well, I think getting FINRA membership in general is challenging. I sometimes question myself, like, you know, we're in a very, very heavily regulated industry. We're undergoing a FINRA examination at the moment. Anyone who's a FINRA, a member of FINRA goes under periodic examinations from FINRA. They're onerous, they're probing, they ask for a lot of information and they take a lot of time. So 
being in this business where you are facilitating investment opportunities to non-accredited investors is a challenging business to be in because it's heavily regulated. We take that regulatory burden on on behalf of sponsors. And that's part of the value which we add, but that is challenging. We're here to, in some ways, regard rail against bad actors trying to rip off from just a regular person. So we don't want to do any evil, right? So that's clear. Whilst we want to do good, which is making good investment opportunities available to the general public, we also want to make sure that we don't have bad actors come in and try and offer fraudulent investment opportunities, which aren't investment opportunities at all, to the public. So we're, if you like, a guardrail against that. And that's not just challenging, but it's a burden to carry. You know, it's a responsibility. And I feel that very acutely. Got it. Yeah, yeah. thank you. So... How do you visualize or how do you see your company next three to five years? I visualize it growing into becoming the preeminent place where people who would like to raise money from the general public come to raise money. And out of that, we'll grow into a marketplace where investors see it as a place to come and put their money. So if they want to check out what, what's the latest investment opportunity available on the environment, they'll come and look and they'll find one. And they'll see that as a place for investment opportunities if you want to seek an investment opportunity, one of the places you'll definitely go to is Invo to see, hey, what do they have up now that I can look at potentially better. Awesome. Let's shift towards personal side. So what habits are helping you to be successful? You know, I think success is one of these things, which is a constantly moving goalpost. I think that therefore it's a very difficult thing to define. I think that for me, success is not just one thing. Right? There are some people who think financial success is success, and, and I don't agree with that at all, actually. I think financial success is one element. As a matter of fact, financial success is only valuable if it is there to help you do the things that you really care about. Them. Uh, success is much more self-actualization, right? the ability to actually live the life that you were born to live, and that doesn't include money. It takes money sometimes, so sometimes it's good to be able to have financial security, um, in order to be able to live that good life and live the life you were born to live. But that looks very different for different people. And I really don't buy into the concept that, oh, wake up at five o'clock in the morning every morning and have that habit and that's going to make you successful. I just don't believe and I don't buy into that type of you know, recipe for success. Of course, there are habits. Be consistent with what you're doing. Be passionate with what you're doing. Find the thing that you love. Find the thing that is your calling. These are all things that are cliches in a sense and are truisms that can help you succeed. But success looks different for every single person. What might be successful for me might not be successful for you. And so for one person who's, you know, they might be very, very successful given who they are and their makeup. And for another person, that wouldn't be success at all. And so I don't think there are really external markers of success. When you go to sleep at night and you ask yourself that question, how, am I living a life which is truly me? Am I self-actualizing? And the only person who knows that, that, that question is us. No one else knows it. And therefore, I just reject all the cliches of success. And what allows me to be successful won't necessarily allow you to be successful. I have a pretty unconventional way in which I lead my life. I have lots of different interests. My days are usually chopped up into different sections, doing different things. I have an investment portfolio of real estate. I have a podcast which is nothing to do with real estate at all, and it's due to religion and spirituality. I study philosophy regularly. In addition to all of that, I also run Inbound. And, you know, I have five kids. I'm engaged in community. 
Uh, so it's really very varied. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't think there is one thing which I can say, hey, this is the thing you should do and it will help you become successful. People making a lot of money offering that kind of thing, but I don't necessarily buy it. Sure. So any books that impacted your life? Of course, I studied a tremendous amount of Bible and Jewish philosophy, etc. I think it's very difficult for me to be able to take one book and say, this is the book, because I become very enamored by different books. I've read them and then they become a book which I go to and I quote for a while. And then I read another book, which I get excited about. And somehow they will become part of the things you then take on and they become part of your mindset, part of the way you think about things. And, and, and after a while, you're not even sure where that came from. You just know that it works for you. It makes sense. So again, this is one of those things people like to say, there's this one book. I don't have that one book. I don't. There are many, many books that I've read. I usually read probably about 30, 40 books a year. And I really can't say that there's one which really kind of changed my life. But every book I read changes me a little bit because it adds color to the way I see the world. When you're born, you see the world really not even just black and white, just in dots. And slowly the lines get filled into those dots as you learn more. And then that becomes a black and white picture. And then the more you learn, the more color gets added. And then the additional dimensions get added. And you want to be constantly adding dimensions. But in that case, you can see why there can't just be one book. There's so many different thinkers out there. And I think if there's just one book that changes your life, then you're really unidimensional. I really can't put my finger on the one book. I do have some books which are favorites of mine, but I can't say there's just like, you know, I can't put my finger on one book. There's books I read the Talmud every single day, for example, which is the magnum opus of Jewish law and tremendous wisdom and knowledge in that. And it's a very ancient book. I read that every single day. Right now, for example, I'm studying or listening to one of the great courses on metaphysics. And we're going through, you know, from Newton to Einstein and beyond about, uh, and so I'm very interested in that as well. So it's also not only books, it can also be, you know, other kinds of lectures which I listen to, which I find very interesting. Got it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your perspective. <laughs> so, and how can listeners can connect Thanks. with you, David? So find me on invon.com, I-N-V-O-W-N.com. Invon stands for invest, I-N-V is for invest, and O-W-N is own. Invest is known as investinvone.com. I'm at Levi or Levi, L-E-V-I at invone.com. You can reach me there. Anyone's interested. I also have a podcast called Truth, Jewish Wisdom for Today. You can find that as well on wherever podcasts are sold, or not sold or found. And I also have a book called Jewish Wisdom for Business Success, which did quite well. And people can find that as well if they're interested in learning more. Awesome. Thank you very much, Levi. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for having me.